Hey, good morning, men. Welcome to Brave Hearts. I'm excited you're with us this morning. Thank you for joining us online, live and in person. It's me. And uh, that's all you need to know. I mean, it's a good thing. I'm, I'm just so glad you're here and I'm glad you're joining us for this time. It's a little bit different this morning. I hope you guys have found your small groups. We'll talk about questions here in just a moment. We've been having a good time. Just kicked off this series last week, Ephesians uh, 4, 11 through 13. So if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna give you a minute to open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter four. We're going to start there with verse 11. Come on, Wade. Y'all are doing good. Find it. Ephesians four eleven. Here we go. All right. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of doctrine or teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming, but we're going to grow up and be mature. So man, this is a very important scripture for us. Last week, I talked about the apostle, the gift of apostleship, what that looks like. You know, years ago, a mentor of mine, Dr. Richard Bells, he told me, he said, Curtis, I want you to take this scripture, Ephesians chapter four, verses 11 through 13, and memorize them. This is gonna be your scripture. This is gonna be your ministry as you minister throughout your life. And it really has been. What we're called to do here is to set up theocratic government, not democratic government. We're used to the democratic government. We don't even know, unfortunately, in the United States, the difference between democratic government and a republic which I would encourage you to go learn about. A republic is much different, much more conservative than a democratic government. And we're supposed to be a democratic republic, but we're getting off here. You can go and listen to all the things and the ways and, and the trials and errors of our government and all the things that I pulled forth over the United States government last week. Go listen to that message. I encourage you to do so. But what I'm interested today is moving forward on setting up the church government because church government is so important because it has the power to shift the culture. And that's what we want to see happen. We need a shifting of culture today in the United States of America. And I truly believe it's the church's job to do it. You know, uh, a great sermon will always begin with the end in mind. And so the end here, Paul gives us, he says, look, if these five-fold ministry are at work in the church, alive and well, when these five-fold are really working, when they are the gears that are turning together, it's going to produce something. And this is what he says it's going to produce. It's going to produce the building up of the body of Christ. It's going to produce the unity in faith. It's going to produce knowledge of the Son of God as that becomes more and more mature. It's going to produce experience to the fullness of Christ. It's going to produce that we are no longer infants, but we have grown up. We have matured when all five of these gifts are truly, truly equipping the saints for service. And finally, he said, we're not going to be subject to every wind of doctrine or teaching or the craftiness of people or even deceit that's out there. We're going to be focused. We're going to know where we're going. We're going to know how we're getting there. We're going to be setting up God's kingdom here upon this earth because Jesus is coming back and he's coming back to reign. So last week I spoke about the gift of apostleship, what that looks like. Now I know there are only 12 original apostles and there will always just be those 12 original apostles. But we see from the very scripture that we just read there is this gift of apostleship, gift of the apostolic, and, and it should be alive in the church. It should be active. And whether it's in the 
elder team, which I pray that we have an elder with a gift of apostleship and on the pastoral team, it should be there as well, but they should be equipping. It is a necessity. Why? Because in scripture, apostleship is very, very important. As a matter of fact, in all of Paul's list listing of the equipping gifts, apostleship is number one. He always listed first, but Jesus was that way too. I mean, Jesus, he went up on the mountainside and you'll remember that he he uh, uh, prayed over his disciples, but when he came down from that night of prayer, he appointed the apostles first. It's a, it's a great thing to see. You will not even see another gift mentioned in scripture until Acts chapter eight, and that's Philip, and he's known as Philip the Evangelist. So apostleship is always first. The apostolic, it, it, it is important that we have it because it establishes the rule and the kingdom of God. It has the ability to see beyond the walls. It has uh, the ability to shift the culture around it. It will always be about discipleship. It will always be about the next generation. It will always be about setting up the kingdom of God. It's interesting because the very word apostle, as we learned last week, means to send forth or to send out. And so they have, they're a sending unit, if you will, to build and expand the kingdom of God. And, and it's also interesting what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. He said, Peter, you are the rock at which I will build my church. And when he says that, church, of course, is the ecclesia in the Greek, which means this. It means the called out ones. So you have those that send out, you have those that are called out, and maybe we would reverse that order and say the called out ones then are sent out to establish the kingdom of God. But what a terrible thing to send those out who are not equipped. And I think so oftentimes that's what's happened within church and church government today. We send out because they're called out, but they've not been equipped before they're called. There's one of our dilemmas in the church, and it's something that, that's the reason why I spend so much time writing curriculum, making sure we have an elder track, making sure that we have a pastoral track, making sure, because we should, before we ever send out the called out ones, we should make sure that they are equipped for the works of service in God, that they know what they're equipped for. So theocratic government does look very different. It's the fivefold ministry, and it's responsible for setting up the governmental structure of the church. And so let's move on. Today, we're going to talk about the prophets. So all of you guys with the gift of prophecy, you're very popular today um, from the Ukraine and the war in the Ukraine, as well as uh, inflation, as well as all the prophets who broke out and started cutting YouTube videos after the election, saying the election was stolen, saying that Trump would return to office in one month and three months and six months. And here we are still with Biden. So what about a prophet? You can hear probably some cynicism in my voice, but I'm not making fun of true prophets by any means. I'm talking about there's a grave warning to those who claim to have the gift of prophecy throughout scripture. Even Jesus, if you remember, Jesus was arrested and, and after he went to Pilate and, and, and Herod and back and forth, uh, at one particular time, they blindfold Jesus and they play this game with him. The Roman soldiers slap him and they hit him and they punch him in the face, and then they would back away and take the blindfold off and say, now prophesy who is the one who hit you. You should be able to see this. So some of them determined that he was a great prophet. They, they, they didn't realize what Jesus was saying. He wasn't a prophet. He was the son of God. And that's what he was attempting to get across to them. So what is a prophet? Is it someone who can see and foretell the future? I mean, it's, it, it, what is it? Is it a fortune teller? Um, why not be a prophet for profit? Well, let me just tell you, this is where it's come today in so many arenas of ministry. We have a charismatic church and prophets 
uh, come forth and say, preacher, you better teach this. You better preach this. You better see this. You better do this. You better reacquaint yourself with this. And, and what happens is uh, they're trying to influence the church in a way, uh, if it's of God, it should go. If it's not of God, it is very, very dangerous. You know, Jude states it this way. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. In other words, Balaam was a prophet who was in it because it was profitable. It profited his ways to be a prophet. Now, man, it's important for us because, uh, as you can hear, I'm a little bit leery of people who are self-proclaimed prophets. But I want you to hear me clearly. In the fivefold ministry, there should be the gift of prophecy. It should be there. All right. Now, we have a, a, a lot of things that have happened throughout the last couple of years. Like I said, that, that really a lot of prophets are writing books or are having YouTube videos or are trying to correct the wrongs that have been made. Here's the truth. The truth is, is that a prophet of God is always going to align with the word of God. That's how it must work. So the story of Balaam is found in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. Basically, he's a prophet for hire. He's a prophet for profit. I taught on this when I taught on the book of James, right? He's the king of uh, uh, Balak is the king of the area. And the way I remember that Balak and Balaam, a lot of people confuse those words. But if you remember, Balak ends with a K, so that means king. And he's the king of Mesopotamia. Now, this is an area where the Moabites and the Midianites, they live and they, they reign in that area. But you have to remember that they are enemies of God. That's basically Iraq and Assyria today. Balak notices the Israelites are growing and they're taking ground wherever they go. They're expanding to the point that they're, uh, they're, they're, they're actually hordes of people. And so Balak, the king of Mesopotamia, goes, we got to do something about this. And so in Numbers chapter 22, verse 34, this is what he says. And Moab was in great dread of the people because there were so many. Moab was overcome with fear of the people of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, this horde will now lick up all the ground that is around us as the ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak is like, what do I do? These are God's people over here and they're expanding. And we, we, we already know that God goes before them. So he calls up Balaam, a known prophet. Now, know something about this prophet. He has a gift that was given to him from the Lord. Man, it's so important that we see this. That so often people, people have, so oftentimes God gives people gifts. He gives them from birth, like the gift of discernment. We know some very discerning people. The problem is they don't yield their gift to God. And that, that creates a problem. And this is exactly who Balaam is. He's one who has been given the gift to really hear and see and know the voice of God, but he doesn't yield that to God nor to his people. It's because it's profitable for him not to in this life. And he's not thinking about the life to come. So Balak says, let's get Balaam, a known prophet in the area, area to put a curse on the Israelites. And this is what said, come now, curse the people for me since they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out from this land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed and him, he whom you curse is cursed. That's number 20, Numbers 22, 6. So they go to four different mountaintops and they look down on Israel's, Israel's camp. But the only thing that will come out of Balaam's mouth is a blessing, not a cursing. 
And so Balaam doesn't really belong to the Mesopotamians, like I said, and he definitely has an ear or at one point in time, his donkey even hears from the Lord, turns around and talks to him and says, hey man, you might ought to wake up, right? Because you need to be hearing from the one who gave you this gift. God tells him, I've spared you, but you better listen, Balaam. In the end, he realizes he cannot curse what God has already blessed, the Israelites. So he devises this plan that God cannot bless. It's a way to lead God's people astray, lead them into a trap. And really it's a trap of, of uh, false idols and sexual temptation. So the Midianites put their women, their best looking women or whatever you may call them out in front. They begin to intermingle, intermingle with the soldiers as well as with the men of the Israelites and they entice them to marry into this culture. And because they marry into the culture, this is what eventually leads the Israelites astray. In Numbers 31 and Revelation 2, they both speak of the dangers it is and the dangers that were set among God's people through false idols and the temptation of sexuality. Balaam, it wouldn't end well with him. In Numbers 31 verse 8, Balaam also, the son of Beor is what it says, they slew with a sword. So there are basically three things to know about Balaam in order to understand who he was and how his gift, he was entrapped to use his gift of prophecy for worldly profit. And it got him in trouble. Throughout scripture, it is put the way of Balaam, the error of Balaam, and the doctrine of Balaam. These three things have slipped into the church, according to Jude. And like I said, I spoke about this a few months ago. The way of Balaam. First off, let me start by saying he really doesn't have a way. You need to hear me. False prophets will always be wonders. They'll want to go from church to church and look at where they can find influence. In this way, he is captive to his gift. He's a prophet, but he refuses to surrender or submit himself to the Lord who gave him the gift. The way of Balaam actually in many ways was money. It was for finances. It's whatever benefited his pocket. Then there's the error of Balaam. So the way was money. The error was his ability. He had the ability to influence. In many ways, he was similar to Korah and his ability uh, to promote a rebellion. Balaam, um, Balaam refused to submit what he had to God, as I've already said. As a matter of fact, his curse in life was really belonging to nobody. He didn't have a people. Uh, he was a wonder. He died while he was fleeing for his life. He had no people that would accept him or take him in in the end. Look, when we don't recognize what God has given us or surrender what he has given us for his purpose, for his kingdom purpose, it's going to be an error. And that's the error of Balaam. It is because his gift was so strong it led many astray as well. Peter said it this way. He's talking about Balaam here. This is 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. In other words, wanting money. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing. So he says it right there in the error of Balaam. And finally, the doctrine of Balaam. And to me, this is the easiest thing for us to fall into. If you are a prophet, I want you to hear something uh, that I say to you today. This doctrine can be dangerous. You really need to submit and surrender your gift to the Lord and truly hear what he has to say. You know, I've even carried this doctrine for my, much of my life. 
I guess the easy way, easiest way to say it is this. God will not curse what he has already blessed. In other words, God could have stopped it. He could have changed it. He could have changed the outcome. You see, Balaam attempts to influence what God has already determined. In other words, we make our decisions and choices, and then we look for God to bless them or to show us after the fact when God wants us to see it before the fact. Oftentimes we operate so much in the natural that we forget that there's this spiritual, that even though our gifts become so natural to us, we still need to spend time in the spiritual to make sure that what we're hearing, what we're seeing, and what we're doing are of the Lord. See, a false prophet cannot change the will of God, but a true prophet will see it. So Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. There's, there's a great warning here. And today I might say we have far more prophets for profit than any other time in the history of the world. It pays good to be a prophet today, to be well-written, to be able to sell escapism. Look, don't worry about all the wars and the rumors of wars and everything else that you see around us because ultimately God's going to come and snatch us out of here before any of the persecution reaches us. Well, if that's true, what about all the Christians? What about the bride of Christ over in the Ukraine right now that are hiding for their life in fear of a Chechen soldier finding them? And many of them have already lost and given their lives for the sake of just speaking the word Jesus. Where does that hold? But it sounds good if I can convince you that you're going to be snatched out before any persecution comes your way. Now, there are also, as I said, real prophets, prophets who are not for hire, prophets who have surrendered and submitted their gift, submitted their gift to God, also submitted their gift to the church. They're in the fivefold ministry and they understand this is where they're called and this is what they're called to do. See, prophets are called to hear the word of God for the people of God. There's the number one thing that a prophet should be trying to discern. What is the word of God, the will of God for the people of God? It's real easy to summarize what prophets ought to do. A prophet doesn't always tell you what you want to hear, but they will tell you what you need to hear. Prophets only see light and darkness. They're black or white. They're night or day. So oftentimes they don't have a whole lot of friends because they really cut to the chase and say it the way it is. Most prophets are wonders because they will not submit to authority and even buy into what they see, much less the church that they are called to serve. Prophets are not builders. You need to hear me. The apostles are builders, but prophets were not. Matter of fact, prophets can tear down quicker than they can build. They're very different from apostles. They don't build because most can't. They oftentimes can see the final product, but can never read a blueprint. Now, I'm not trying to offend you if you're a prophet, but be offended. Let's keep going. Man, that's just part of it. Sometimes we just have to learn the truth of the word of God. Just, just hear me out, though. Very critical for the kingdom of God. Prophets are, we see them all throughout scripture. Very critical to the kingdom of God. I'm just putting out enough warning to say, make sure if you claim to be a prophet, you are a prophet. Or have the gift of prophecy might be a better way to say it. Many times, prophets don't work well with the team and vice versa. Prophets will see what needs to happen, but they don't know, like I said, oftentimes how to set that up. Apostles build it, they set it up. Prophets see it, 
And, and prophets see it in a way that, okay, we've got to equip the saints. They've got to hear the word of God in order to be activated in the word of God. So prophets have a great expectation that when people hear the word of God, they're going to do the will of God. And that's where prophets, I, I'm talking about true prophets can really be disappointed. I, I know some of you with a gift of prophecy, and I know that you've seen the will of God for the people of God, and you've spoken it and not seen it happen. And it's extremely discouraging and it, it's disheartening to you. Hang in there. You know, uh, prophets are necessary. Prophets, the word prophesy is very close to preaching. It, it, both of them are proclaiming the word of God. And true prophets, like I said, true prophets, all the fivefold ministry will have a pastor's heart. They don't necessarily have the pastor's gifting. So prophets oftentimes will say, take it or leave it. I'm just telling you what the word of God spoke to me this morning and who I was supposed to give that to. You can take it or you can leave it. And a lot of times prophets just go on because like I said, they're black or white. They're, they're yes or no type people. They don't want to sit and, and visit with you for hours about it. They move on. But true prophets still will have a pastor's heart because here's what they're going to want. They're going to be for God and they're going to be for his people, just like Jeremiah. You know, Jeremiah, I mean, he prophesied and prophesied and prophesied and prophesied. And I mean, even with the book of Lamentations that he's accredited to and, and wrote to, and you see Jeremiah, I mean, at that point, he's lamenting over the people because they simply wouldn't do what God was calling them to do. At one point in time, he said, look, there's, there's no sense in even throwing the city gates wide open for the enemies because they're already coming over the walls. They're already amidst the crowds. And so uh, people didn't necessarily like him. They didn't necessarily want to hang out with him, but they did recognize he was a prophet of the Lord. So I'm a little hard on the gift of prophecy, but look, it's a necessary gift in the fivefold ministry. And part of the reason I'm a little hard on this man, and I hope you hear me, it's not because I don't believe in the gift of prophecy. It's because I've had so many who have prophesied who have either been wrong or told me one time I had a prophet, just give you an example. One time I had a prophet show up at church. This is when I was at Wolforth. Comes by and he's, He's a nice guy. Uh, he didn't attend our church, but he set up an appointment through our secretary. And uh, so he's got an hour in my office. He comes in my office and he said, hey, I just want you to know I'm a prophet. Uh, I know scripture. He quoted a handful of scriptures to me. And he said, the Lord told me to stop by here to talk to you about your wife. Now your wife, uh, she has dark hair. She has dark eyes. Um, she's somewhat tall. She's got a Roman nose, but she's not Roman. I want you to know she's out of the tribe of Benjamin. And because she's out of the tribe of Benjamin and he goes into all these things, these characteristics, these things that were uh, supposedly all about Allison. He didn't call her by name. He didn't know her name, but he tells me all this. And I just, I just let him go. He already messed with me because he said she had dark hair. Well, back then we were young. She had blonde hair, bright blonde hair. He said she had dark eyes. She got blue eyes from the tribe of Benjamin. She's from the tribe of Wink. I mean, it, it was so far off, but at the end, he said, okay, now most people compensate me at this time for what I just gave them of the word of the Lord. And so he was looking for a couple hundred bucks at least to walk out of my office. He got something else. This is sometimes why I'm a little bit hard with uh, this gift of prophecy or modern day prophets. Here's the truth. Prophets who surrender their gift, the gift of prophecy that is surrendered to the Lord is powerful. 
It is mighty because it contains the word of God for the people of God. And the scripture says that the word of God is not void, that it does not return to him without something happening. And so uh, it's an important thing for people to have the gift of prophecy. The Apostle Paul stated in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue love, but strive eagerly for the spiritual gifts. And watch this. He said, above all gifts, desire prophecy. Pray that you may prophesy. It is a very important gift. So men, as we look at the gift of prophecy, and as I look to get my notes out of order, I'll leave you with this. Pray, pray that we have the gift of prophecy from true people who are gifted in that way. Pray over your gift if you have the gift of prophecy. Surrender that gift to the Lord so that it can help us set up theocratic government, not just through the church, but that his kingdom may reign. Men, I hope that you've enjoyed the message this morning. I've enjoyed being with you this spring break. May you go and be blessed by Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.